what to do with that information. You know, I feel like they really turned it up a notch a little bit. Even in the game, like I said, the game they lost on Thursday, they continued to battle back. And the game on uh, Friday, Walker was really good in the offense, came through with some big hits and some big moments. And uh, the game on on Saturday, I mean, Zach Wheeler, like you like you said, was was absolutely dominant. By the way, in his last in his eleven starts against the Braves as a Philly, has a two point one zero ERA. That is a that is incredible production against Atlanta, mm. and you, we needed that because Aaron Nola, the guy who's supposed to be the co ace, you saw the difference between these two guys in this particular series. Aaron Nola just left way too many pitches over the middle of the plate. Zach Wheeler was just has better stuff. You can throw when you can throw your fastball by people. It's such a huge weapon, and Aaron Nola just doesn't have a fastball right now where he's able to do that. So that's the that's the big difference I learned between those two guys, which is why. I have to kind of view Aranola as more like a, a low number two, high number three at this moment, because I don't think he has the fastball to get swing and miss like a guy like Zach Wheeler does or a guy like Spencer Strider does, a, a real ace of the staff that you can get through difficult lineups with. And so I just feel like with this Phillies team, I thought it was good that they were able to basically, if I think if they had anybody other than Dylan Covey pitching for them on Sunday, they had a chance to beat Spencer Strider. You know, they were actually battling him pretty well in the early innings before. Strider hit his stride for, you know, forgive the pun, but, um, you know, I, I think the Phillies really played them tough. And I think on paper, and I wrote about this for the good fight, I think the Phillies are, are as good as the Braves are on paper. If, if the players that they have on paper are playing up to their capabilities, but that's been the problem is that they're, they haven't been playing up to their capabilities so far this year. And they, they are in need of a number five starter. They absolutely have to get that figured out. It's not going to be Dylan Covey. So I guess I, I, if the number five starter is your biggest problem as a team, it's something you feel like you can work around for the Phillies. It, they've had trouble throughout the starting rotation. Like Ranger Suarez has been iffy. Taiwan Walker's actually been decent in four of his last five starts. That Dodgers start was a real stinker, but in his, in the other four starts in his last five, he's been pretty good. So maybe he's starting to find himself, but Aaron Nola is still a big question mark. We haven't seen a good start from Ranger Suarez. So the number five starter getting shelled in two thirds of an inning is just as big a problem. And so where do they go from here? Liz, what, what can they do with the number five starter at this point? Do, do you, Bring up one of your young guys who they say aren't quite ready yet. Mick Abel, uh, Griff McGarry, who's coming back from injury, still kind of building up, but looks pretty good. Do you give it to a guy like Chris Sanchez, who we've seen have some issues at the major league level, but really, I don't know if there's a better option out there. Would you consider, I don't know what Bailey, Bailey Falter, going back to Bailey Falter and seeing if maybe going back to AAA was a wake-up call. What are What can they do here? Let's, let's go back to Bailey Falter again. That certainly went well. Bill and Cubby wasn't a better idea. So, no, like there, there are no good ideas here other than, you know, a magic wand that fixes it because I would love for them to bring up one of their young guys, but I don't think they're going to do it because that would be a desperate move. And the Phillies are not a desperate team yet. They're getting there, but they're not desperate yet. So I, I think that's a move they save for when it's something else happens. Because that's when the Phillies will get desperate. If there's another issue in the rotation, I think they might do it then. But mm -hmm. beyond that, I guess, I mean, Chris Sanchez, I mean, why not? At this point, we're sort of at a, if it doesn't really ruin any long-term plans, why not try it? Has, yeah. I, have, has any of the major league guys wanted to try pitching a full game? Sure. Second baseman, third baseman, doesn't matter. Give him a chance. <laughs> 
It's it's hard to imagine. I mean, hey, Cody Clemens has been that guy coming out of the bullpen lately. Why not? Why not let him get on the bump? You know, why, what? I mean, I would. Could it be no. worse than Dylan Covey right now, Justin? What do you think? What do they do here? Uh, I don't think they're waiting to unearth the next successful fifth starter. I think they're just waiting for Aaron Nola to pitch well again, because when he's pitching well and if Zach Wheeler's pitching well, and I mean, they're and and also Suarez, they're waiting for Suarez to find his groove. I think they're just going to wait it out when the guys they think they know can can perform are performing, and then that fifth spot can be whoever you want it to be. The fifth spot can get shelled. Uh, every five days or you know can at least allow a couple of runs and and you still think you got a chance with your offense like that can that that i think is the actual plan because you're right none of these answers are answers they're just responses i I feel like the most obvious one is bailey falter because they just would do that you know they would bring bring him back they already have a jersey for him like i don't Mm -hmm. think there's a right answer here I think the main difference is between guys like Sanchez and Falter and then the prospects. And I don't think you're at the point where you're bringing up prospects yet. You're not, you're not bringing them up like right around Memorial day, right when the games are going to start quote unquote counting and telling them like, Hey, listen, no pressure, Rook, but you, we got to get the lead back here. And it's basically you, you are the plan. So get out there. Here's the baseball and um, you know, save the season, but no pressure. So I feel like they're probably going to ride it out with some of these quad A guys until their other pitchers start pitching better. I, I think that's their logic right now, and I think they got enough baseball left to do that. I mean, I, I guess you're right. They they I would love to see them bring one of the young guys up. I think Mick Abel would be the guy to bring up if you're going to bring him up. But he's had control issues. He's had command issues. It's you know it's it's unlikely that they would magically get fixed. Griff McGarry just, you know, he found his command again after struggling with it, but he did it by like remembering that he has to reset and remembering to like, you know, take control of the game, like do go through your routine. But that's like not how baseball works anymore with the pitch clock. So like, I, I, you know, Mm -hmm. the guy adjusting to major league baseball, we're watching major leaguers struggle to adjust to major league baseball. And I know they have the clock in the minors, but like, you know, that, that's if, if that's what you're hanging your hat on right now, uh, I don't know. I, I hope you can find other ways to get comfortable. Well, and McGarry has nine and two thirds innings under his belt so far here this season. So my guess is they want to give him a few more. They want to give him a few more innings at the at the minor in the minor leagues to kind of get him worked up because he started the season on the injured list. Uh, Mick Abel, on the other hand, has 34 and two thirds innings under his belt. He's made eight starts and has a five, seven, uh, pardon me, a five, four, five ERA. Uh, for for double a reading so far 20 walks in 34 and two-thirds innings i mean it's just you're right i mean i i want one of those young guys to kind of take the bull by the horns and i i think if i do think if mick abel had like a three era right now i think they'd bring him up i really do i i think they would absolutely bring him up they were ready to start andrew painter to start the season and i i think they know what you know they know what the stakes are if 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 mick abel was pitching well like if he had like a you know, like a 25 to seven strikeout to walk ratio and, and had like a three something ERA. I, I think they do it, but he's just not been consistent enough. And I don't think it's necessarily an answer. And Justin, I think what you're saying is, is right about Aaron Nola and Ranger Suarez. If those guys can find it, can figure it out, can pitch well, suddenly the number five starter isn't as big of an issue. And you just hope some of those young guys can figure it out or Bailey Falter gets hot or Chris Sanchez figures it out at the minor leagues. And, and, but in the meantime, I, I, Dave Dombrowski doesn't know what to do. I mean, the quotes from him after the game on Sunday night, he's like, every team wants pitching. There's so many teams right now that have, they're having trouble with their number five starters. And it's, 
the, the good teams are the ones that are making do with their top four right now. And right now the Phillies have essentially one starter who's doing, who, who's, you can reasonably see as like a top level pitcher and everybody else still trying to find it. And it's starting to get kind of late in the year to try and find it. It should be found by now, but John, would you characterize the Phillies as desperate? No, no, I don't think they're desperate yet. And that's kind of plays into where the national league is right now. I was going to mention this. There's all, only seven teams in the national league or at 500 or better. There is no national league team right now. That is more than five games out of a playoff spot. So, no one's out of it. No one should be desperate in, in the National League. Everybody is still a contender in the National League right now. Would you say, like, it doesn't seem like all of the bad teams are even as bad as they were supposed to be. Like, they, you know, they might right. be just in general that bad, but thus far this season, they've won more games than I think a lot of people thought. Well, look at Washington. The Nationals that's, that's are mostly 23 what I'm and 30. About, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the Rockies are 24 and 31. Um, Marlins? The Marlins or the Marlins are two games over 500. They just keep winning one run games, man. It's it's crazy. Yep. Um, the Diamondbacks are are really people. I think thought they might improve, but the Diamondbacks are are 31 and 23. Um, the Giants got hot, you know, after after the Phillies came to town. The Giants got hot. Pittsburgh is, you know, they're sliding big time, no doubt about it. But still, they're 26 and 27. So you're right. It's these these teams that we thought were going to be awful. They've played pretty well so far. And a lot of the really good, the teams we thought would be really good have kind of played middling. And so there's just all of this middle right now in the National League. And so the Phillies are lucky in that regard in that they they haven't fallen behind real big, that they haven't gotten crushed, and that there are three wild cards that you get a lot of rope here early in the season, way more than you ever used to in baseball. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that's how they got in last year. They, you know, they managed to hop into that last spot. But uh, yeah, this kind of does change the early season playoff picture. But I mean, how crucial is the playoff picture this early in the season? I just want to get on top of the Marlins. I'll, I'll yeah. settle for that yeah. right yeah. now. I, exactly. <laughs> that's. I, I want to move. I want to get out of fourth. <laughs> you know, I just I want to get into third or second, and then and then you can start looking at uh, start looking at the wild card. But. Um, yeah, as long as there are three teams in your division in front of you, you're you're stuck. So you need to need to figure that out. And they'll they'll get three against the Mets here this week, and they'll get three against the Nationals, and hopefully get to push the Nationals a little bit further behind them because the Nationals are uncomfortably close to the Phillies in the standings right now. <laughs> I, I don't I don't like how close oh, yeah. they're getting. Um, uh, let's talk about one other thing from this series, then we can kind of move on. Trey Turner, did he seem to be waking up to you guys this weekend? He had some big hits. Um, he had the big hit, obviously, before the road trip started uh, with the the game tying uh, two run home run in the series finale um, in their latest homestand uh, to salvage that uh, final game against the Diamondbacks. But seemed to be doing. He seems to look better at the plate right now in this series against Atlanta. Uh, Liz, does he seem to be waking up to you, or are we still seeing a little bit too much of of the struggle bus riding Trey Turner? I mean, I think he's still on the struggle bus, but he appears to be pulling hard on the the little line, the signals for the stop. Um, <laughs> he might be, you know, I think he might be heating up a little bit. He did look better somewhat at different mm -hmm. times this weekend. Um, you know, the homering helps. Yep. I like homers from Trey Turner. I mm -hmm. think that's good. And he's, st he's starting to steal a little bit, which. Yeah. <laughs> I think some of it is just a matter of him getting comfortable, which again, uh, we need to stay away from guys who need a full year of, uh, of acclimation. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, that's not something we can control. Yeah. Uh, 
So I, I would love it if these guys didn't need all this time. Hopefully Trey Turner will not. And he's looking a little bit better. So fingers crossed. Yeah. What, what is it about coming to coming to the Phillies as a, as a free agent or a, a trade acquisition that it takes you two months to, to find yourself? I, I don't know what it is, but um, is it the food, the water? Is it, is, did you, these guys getting places too close to the highway and they're not sleeping at night? I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I think um, they're, uh, I think they're intimidated by the smoldering commentary on the local podcast scene. Ooh. That's what it is. That's what it is. I think you're right, man. You hit the nail on the head. Everybody, everybody knows, everybody knows we're coming for you and you got to play well. Um, and the first two guys at the top of the order, the reason they won Friday, Saturday is Bryson Stott and Trey Turner both getting on base a ton, Justin. And I think we'd see, we have seen statistics come through and I'm going to try and find some, uh, find the one I'm thinking of while you're talking here, but the, the Phillies have been historically awful with the top two guys in the lineup. Um, in terms of on base percentage, the, the historically bad production for, uh, across major league baseball history from what they've gotten from number one and number two in the order so far this season. But it seemed like those two guys were finally starting to figure it out on, on Friday and Saturday, at least nobody figured anything out on, on Sunday against Strider. Yeah. Uh, obviously that would be huge. Uh, but if your overall question here is like, is, is Trey Turner guys like Turner and, and Schwarber, uh, like, are they turning it on? Is Stott, you know, coming around at the top of the lineup? I, I mean, yes, because I have to say yes because every that's like the only thing that can happen right now. That's, that's what we need to happen. It needs to happen now. And uh, you know, other, there's not a whole lot of buttons for the Phillies to push. So I'm glad to see, like, I think every little, every hit gains a little bit of confidence back. Um, guys like Stott have already had some success this year, just hit a bit of a lull. I think we're in his case, I think we're like just hyper-focused on his ups and downs when what we're actually seeing is just a normal baseball season. Uh, the Turner is, a, the, you know, obviously the real surprise here that he's been something of an anchor on this offense. But I think, yeah, I think I'm willing to still say that that home run was the start of the Trey Turner turnaround, the Trey turnaround. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Why, not? Why not just say that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm more than willing to believe that that was the case. And I think there was enough offense during this Braves uh, series from him to say that it's ongoing and to say that he looks a little more comfortable because that that's the main thing here. We know it can hit, but nobody hits when they're uncomfortable. So that he's able right. to adjust his approach and just, you know, get who knows, maybe it's a new team thing. Maybe it's just a new season thing. Maybe it's coming off the WBC thing. Who knows? But uh, he has not looked comfortable and he has to be if he's starting to warm up a little bit. So which we which we've seen. So I'm willing to say this is still this is still happening. Yeah, I think we're starting to see the Trey Turner um, surge that I think we all were expecting. To, the, the Trey turnaround. Thank you. I, I will have to, we'll have to hashtag that or, or get, get your branding on that, Justin. That's that's it's yours. Don't yeah, let anybody I'll, else take that. I'll get my people in the field. Don't worry. There about you it. go. Um, and this, the stat that I was looking for was in a Matt Gelb story. Uh, they The Phillies have, after Thursday night's loss, had the fourth worst on base percentage from the numbers one and two spots in the batting order since Major League Baseball expanded in 1961. So pretty bad from from the top two guys uh, in the lineup. And one other uh, stat I saw from from Matt Gelb that I wanted to mention was uh, was how bad Dylan Covey's start was. Um, let's see, where was this? Dylan Covey, the first Philly starter to allow seven runs and pitch less than an inning since J.D. Durbin in 2007. That was uh, a legendary wow. start. I can't yep. believe somebody matched that. That was uh, <laughs> wow. that was an anomalous little stat line on, yeah, 
on lists for a long time. Yeah. Why are all of our, why are all of our records of futility so old? Oh, they're always from so long ago. Yeah. Yeah. From they've cobwebs on them. So long. (laughs) They really are. You know, like the the Braves drop a ball and they're like, oh, the Braves haven't had gloves that didn't work since uh, 1998. And you're like, oh, wow, that's cool. Like, oh, the Phillies. It's been a little bit of a long time. Phillies haven't been shut out four times in a row. And then, you know, the same player beamed in each game since uh, 1842. (laughs) Well, before they were even a team. But before railroads, a collection of men were playing near Philadelphia. That happened. (laughs) And you're like, why? Why are we making so much history with this? But all in like terrible ways. Yeah, it's always in terrible ways. Um, The one the one way they did make history this week is is Craig Kimbrell got saved number 400 against his old team in his old stadium. So um, that's cool. Yeah, cool moment for for Craig Kimbrell, and that was kind of neat. He's having a much better season than I ever expected him to have here. So yeah, far. same. He's yeah. really he's he's leveled out a bit. I'm, I don't get as um, I don't grip the table as hard when he comes into games anymore. Yeah. It's well, nice. <laughs> yeah, throwing 97, 98 miles an hour rather than 94, 95. That'll do the trick uh, for sure. So perfectly timed too with uh, yeah. Jose Alvarado off the board for the time being. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it seems like uh, Jose Alvarado is on the train to coming back. Uh, I think they said he had his throwing session uh, this weekend. So I think we're getting closer on Jose Alvarado, which would be nice to not have to rely on Gregory Soto, who has been really, really good in a lot of in a lot of his appearances or really, really awful uh, in in other ones. There's just no telling what you're going to get from Gregory Soto. The idea of him coming in in the eighth inning of a playoff game just absolutely terrifies me. Uh, But you know what? We'll deal with that problem if and when we get there. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention before we get to answering just a couple of voice memo questions is, I don't know if you guys saw the Buster only tweet story oh, that this was going to be my, this was going to be my, uh, final thoughts. Cause I've oh, got okay. some thoughts. <laughs> okay. All right, well then what we'll do is, is it about Shohei? Is that what you're going to talk about? Oh no, this is about Shohei. Oh no. I have a different reason to be angry at Buster only. <laughs> oh, okay, good. All right. Well, we'll save that for your final thoughts then. It's it just apparently some in, in a, in a story about. Shohei Otani's upcoming free agency this year, this offseason. Some rando baseball executive who Buster has on speed dial mentioned the Phillies as a team that he says would make sense to go after Otani because they're going to be lo- they could be losing two pitchers soon. Talking about the fact that Nola could be a free agent after this year and Wheeler after next year, so that both could be on their way out and and Otani would make sense. Well, like wh- who does Otani not make sense for? Like even if Wheeler and Nola weren't going anywhere, did all of a sudden, well, you know, I could see the Phillies making a play, but they've got Nola and Wheeler, so I don't really see as how it makes any sense for them to go after Shohei Otani. I mean, it's, what an idiotic thing to include in a story. And I, I just, and I can't imagine that this is, that's not even, it's not a rumor. It's like just saying Shohei Otani is the best baseball player on the planet. He, he's an amazing pitcher and hitter. He'd be great on every team. Every team should be linked to him. Like, what are, what are we doing here? I mean, that's not in the story because it's, like you said, even a rumor. It's got the equivalence of overhearing your two uncles talking about it over hot dogs at the Memorial Day cookout. Like, that's that's as much impact on the on reality as that statement has. And it's not a report. It's not. It's just, you know, a guy willing to say something that, you know, involves a team that Buster now gets to say. A guy who... may know something but refuses to identify himself has said Phillies and Otani in the same sentence 
So yeah, that's not that's not a lot of anything. And, and to your point, because there's no team that wouldn't want Shohei Otani. So and he's not even saying that. He's not even really linking them. He's just saying that would be they would be. Yeah, it would make sense. Yeah. Which again yeah. is is utterly redundant. So he just wrote an article where he gave us the opinion of a random, unnamed, quote unquote, baseball executive. Whether or not that's a guy in the front office at the top. Or whether that is a low-level staffer, it could be any of them. That Come exists. On. That exists in the story, so that blogs and podcasts will say the words "Buster only" and Shohei Otani, uh, and, and, and and you know carry it uh, for as free marketing. So I'd hate to be I'd hate to be those idiots. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what an idiot! Who would mention mm. this on a podcast? Moving on, um, just yeah. Anyway, uh, let's get to the voice memos here. And um, listen, we got a few. And again, this was great. We wanted to we want to start to in- involve the listeners a little bit more in the podcast. And, you know, this is a this is a super easy way to do it. So uh, what we ask is, you know, if you guys have a question you want to you want to ask us on the Sunday night podcast during the course of the week, we'd love for you to record a voice memo on your phone, whether it's on Apple, whether it's on your Apple phone or Android or whatever it is, and then email it. I'm going to give you a different email address than I gave you last time, uh, but it's super easy to remember. Hitting season at billypen.com. Record yourself. If there's a comment, you got a comment or a question, just email it to hitting season at billypen.com. And um, we can't we can't air them all because we don't have all that much time, but um, we will certainly we'll, we'll put on like the two or three best ones. And uh, Justin and Liz and I can can chat about them. And uh, the first one we're going to play a few here uh, this week is from uh, one of our fans, Thomas Smith, who asked this question about Andrew Painter. Hey, John, Liz, and Justin. I love the podcast. My question is. Um, I know that Andrew Painter is still a little ways away from being healthy again, but at the point at which he's ready to return and make his debut with Philly, um, if they're still back in the wildcard race, can the Phillies really afford to throw him out there every fifth day with the season on the line? Thanks. Thomas, thank you for sending that in. So essentially, I think what, what Thomas is getting at here, Liz, is that he seems to be concerned that this young phenom who has had these arm issues this year would be coming back and would maybe the Phillies would be relying on him a little bit too much during a pennant race and worrying about Andrew Painter and whether or not he'd be effective during a pennant race, whether it would be wise to to bring him up during that time. I, I got to tell you, if Andrew Painter's healthy, he's, he needs to be on this roster. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not necessarily worried about that, but what are your thoughts? I mean, I don't think they'll bring him up if they're worried about him. Like if he's coming up, they're going to let him loose. There, you know, he's got to be ready, ready to go. Um, I think they, I think they would do it. Honestly, I, I've been going back and forth because they've been relatively conservative um, with their prospects, which is not a bad thing after years of, you know, promoting J.P. Crawford after he'd completed like five seconds of Double A or whatever it was. Uh, so I'm glad they're being Kingery, Scott Kingery. Oh God, thing. yeah, Kingery. Um, I'm glad they're being thoughtful about it. Um, and I'm, I'll just say I'm confident they'll make the right decision. I, I don't like being one of the people who's like, bring this guy up. I know lots of things about prospects. No, I know Zippo about prospects. All I can give is my whatever I think might be correct. Uh, so I, I just, I trust the team with whatever they're going to do. And my hope is that Painter is ready to go because that would be super awesome. 
It would be it would be super helpful. And I think that trust Justin comes from the fact that Dave Dombrowski is the one making the call and not somebody like Matt Clintac. <laughs> right. I mean, really, the question here is, when is this happening? I mean, because for me, that's that might dictate my answer. Um, Painter is they're still saying if he throws this year. So he's pretty well out of commission. If he were to make a return, it would have to be pretty late in the year. So if the Phillies are in the wild card picture late in the year between what we've seen now and, and the, but they're firmly, they're like playing for a playoff spot in this future. We're imagining then something has happened between now and then that has stabilized the rotation because they're not in the playoffs talk. If they haven't figured something out without Andrew painter, right? Yeah. That's a good point. Yep. So if that's the case, I'm not going to prioritize jamming this kid who's recovering from surgery into the rotation or bullpen. I get what you're saying, John. Uh, part of me, while Liz was talking, was starting to lean in this direction as my answer, which is very that persuasive. I know this this team has had much worse pitching than it expected to. So to get anybody in there, to get any fresh arms in there, especially as highly touted as Andrew Painter is, lack of experience withstanding. Uh, that's going to help the team. I, I can certainly see that argument and that makes, that does make sense. But I think there's been plenty of examples of guys struggling with the mental aspect of the game, guys who are established guys we know can play who, who, you know, have struggled with the Phillies, not just physically, but mentally of this current crop of guys. And I don't know if, if you feel like if, if, if you have made an adjustment at some point or guys like, Nola and Suarez have settled in, or even just one of them has settled in and your pitchers have been pitching well enough to keep you in the playoff race all summer long. Then no, I'm not sure there is a, as driving a need to jam a 20 year old kid in there. Who's recovering from missing the season with health, health issues and say, Hey, we got to make it to the playoffs. And so now you're in it with us. Get out there. Yeah. And, and just to be, just to clarify, uh, I think I might've said it. I think I heard you mention it, Justin painter, Trying to come back without having surgery um, this time around, uh, just through rest and recovery, and that's a slower process in a, in a lot of ways. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, but they are clearly babying him, which is fine, which is what you want. And again, the stars on this team, the big money guys, or the guys who will soon one day get big money, a guy like Ranger Suarez, have to pitch that way. They have to pitch that way in order to make, in order for it to make sense to bring up Andrew Painter late in the season. I think that's well said. I, I don't think... Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I think people need to need to recognize that Andrew Painter can't save the season. The guys who are already here need to save save the season so that Andrew Painter can be a part of it. And that's really what we're looking at here. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, let's uh, go to our next one. Um, one of our one of our best fans because resides all the way in Scotland. Oisin Murphy Lawless uh, is uh, has is checking in with this question about Rob Thompson and how much leash he has as Phil's manager. Hello, John, Liz, and Justin. This is Oisin Murphy Lawless over in. Edinburgh and my question for you is what would be the thing the threshold which makes you think that no Rob Thompson should no longer be the manager for the Phillies it's a depressing thought I don't even think we're remotely close to it yet and yet I kind of want to know which is a bad reflection on this season so far but there we go Anyway, I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts, and uh, please, God, they win against tonight against the Price. And yeah, I have no hope. All right, all the best. Bye.
So obviously with the Phillies start, it's kind of mirroring 2022's start and, and Joe Girardi was fired after a, a, a worse start. The Phillies in 2023 are not where they were last year. So they're in, they're in a better spot right now than they were a year ago. But it's, and, and the National League is a lot more compacted. So again, the, the Phillies are still well in the conversation of everything that they, that they want to do. That being said, the team's not playing great. Um, but Rob Thompson, you know, got them to a World Series last year. And the Phillies didn't fire Joe Girardi because of two bad months last year. It was longer than that. I mean, he had been here for a, a couple of years before then, and things hadn't exactly worked out. So I, I don't think Oyson Justin is necessarily saying he thinks Rob Thompson should be fired. In fact, I know he's not saying that. But I mean, I think I can't imagine any scenario where Rob Thompson isn't safe for at least this whole season, no matter what happens. Like if they even if they lose twelve in a row now, Rob Thompson is not getting fired this season. It's just not happening, right? Yeah, I think if this team really tanks, then calls for Rob Thompson to be fired will certainly louden. I think you've already had whispers of it with their early struggles. I know, I know there have been. I've seen it, and it just seems like an odd button to push right now because I just don't see him as the problem. He showed up, and the team immediately started winning. And last, but last year was last year, and this year is this year. However, all we did when talking about the next Phillies manager uh, or like who should replace Joe Girardi before he even was fired. The question, you know, we really started focusing on culture. Now, this team had assembled the talent it seemed to need to win, and it just didn't seem like things were clicking or there there wasn't as you know, there wasn't the chemistry they needed necessarily. It was like they needed something and they found it. And I'm not saying Rob Thompson was that something, but he has clearly proven that he can set a t he can set a tone in that locker room with this team. That is now what they're used to. It is now what they're accustomed to, and they clearly like playing for him. So I'm, I'm, there's things that have happened this season that you can certainly put on Rob Thompson's shoulders, but as far as like long-term uh, guy steering the ship, I think, yeah, you don't even really have a reason to start saying they've got to fire this guy yet, um, let alone asking if his job – like I think his job is safe. I think even beyond that, yeah, his, his job is – is the the Phillies extended him because they view him as their guy. They saw the results last year. So yeah, I, I don't I don't think Rob Thompson's gonna be in any danger in twenty twenty three. You agree, Liz? I do. His leash is as long as the season is and maybe longer. The yeah. Phillies are happy with him. The players love him. The results are the results, but I think they're aware that it's not like Thompson is putting tax in everybody's shoes at night. He's doing what's your, like he... <laughs> what's your least yeah. favorite thing about Rob Thompson? I think we all like him, but what's your least favorite thing about him? That's a great question. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I, I know think there are things I don't like, but what are they? I mean, I, I think there are some things that he, you know, his, some of his in-game decisions, but I don't know if there's any one thing that he does overall that I think, you know, that that I think is a problem. I, I sometimes question maybe when he brings in a certain reliever or takes out a starter. But I mean, I, I would probably have that complaint of pretty much any manager. I think every, every I think every manager gets their fair share of those kinds of complaints. I mean, I think I think there may be times when early in the season or at different times he maybe didn't. You know, we were sitting Brandon Marsh a little bit too much against like left-handers or something like that. Yeah. I think he can kind of get into those ruts sometimes. Um, but generally speaking, and he gets, I, I think my, I'll say this. I think he gets locked into certain guys in certain spots and doesn't come off of that as quickly as I would like. Now, 
what do I know? He, he knows a lot more than I do, but he's really been sticking with like Bryson Stott and Trey Turner at one, two in the lineup, despite the horrific st- statistic I mentioned earlier. But he's got the confidence that's, that those two guys are going to turn it around at some point. But in the meantime, you're still, and remember last year, he kept hitting Reese Hoskins second in the playoffs, even as Reese mm-hmm. Hoskins was struggling so much and, and, you know, taking at bats, you know, hitting in front of Bryce Harper was just as hot as Harper was. Harper should have been front hitting in front of Hoskins and this he's a little slow to make those kinds of reactive changes, I think. And I think in a lot of ways that can be viewed as a good thing because he's a steadying influence. He doesn't panic when things are going bad. He doesn't make a rash decision, but there's a middle ground there that I'm not sure he nails, but it's a, that's kind of a nitpick, I think. Yeah, because that's also called being a player's manager, and that's why the players like playing for yeah. him, and that's why they like he, that, that he's there. So, but I mean, yeah, to your point, I mean, that's why I asked the question. It was like nitpicks a problem for Rob Thompson. I would say he's he's always seemed kind of slow to get between one of his players and an umpire. Oh now, God, I thought about that too. Yeah, granted, there hasn't been a lot of that from the Phillies in general the past few years. They've had like I think a pretty average number of screaming at the umpire incidents but yeah he is i've noticed he's like maybe he's just like ah steps ah. <laughs> well i mean uh, after after kapler who was like instantly out of the dugout anytime one of his players even turned and looked at the umpire because he was so desperate to get in there and break anything up and then after girardi who loves yelling at an umpire the man loves yelling at an umpire um this is a little different for us because we've had a lot of there's been a lot of quick uh a quick to anger moments i think over the past few years so this is a little different thompson isn't quite that guy i think we'd all like to see him show a little bit more fire sometimes with that stuff if he yeah. is gonna get his butt out of the out of the dugout he should he should get his money's worth for the yeah. record, I don't, I don't really ever think any of this stuff because really? I don't really, I don't think about Rob Thompson a whole lot because oh, no. he is such a, he is a steadying presence. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, it's I great to have an adult in the room. I do enjoy how you're like, I don't really believe any of this stuff, but Liz, keep talking. <laughs> Go <laughs> keep ahead, talking Liz. right now. Wow, you're so negative. <laughs> Who even brought this honestly, subject up? I, I do think it. He is a little bit slow sometimes. I have, I have actually wondered. Hey. Why is Kyle Schwaber continuing to talk to the umpire when the umpire's getting really angry? Why is that? <laughs> it's, it's listen, in the tortoise and the hare, who wins the race at the end, right? The guy who I guess doesn't get ejected. I'm not sure. That's like whatever. I'm not sure what the right. Yeah, I don't know what the moral of that story was. Um, all right, last uh, voice memo coming from Charlie Wolf had this interesting question about Aranola. Hey guys, Charlie from Cunningham, longtime fan of the show. Uh, just want to ask quick. My question would be: Today is. May 27th, if you were Dave Dombrowski, would you offer Aaron Nola a contract? And if so, X years for X money. What would be your path forward for Nola going into 2024? Thanks. Happy Memorial Day. So we've talked a lot about Aaron Nola. Obviously, you guys did a whole podcast on him. He was a big topic of discussion once again. And I know that's one of the things about Aaron Nola starts is they always they always involve some kind of conversation, whether it's the bad Aranola crowd or the good Aranola crowd. Regardless, he's a free agent at the end of the season, and there really doesn't seem to be a whole lot of great options to replace him internally or externally, uh, unless you do go out and get Shohei Otani. So his, I, I wonder, and I think it's a great question, I do wonder how much of his performance, if it continues like this, how much does that affect his free agent contract? Like, how much does it knock off? How much do you look at what he did 
throughout the course of his career? Or do you look at this season as like a, is this guy trending downward kind of thing as he's getting older? And if, if I'm probably still willing to offer him a five-year deal at probably about $25 million a season, I think that's, I, I I'm, I think that's where I would go. I think he wants a lot more than that. I think he wants like a $200 million contract. And I, I, I don't think he's getting that anywhere yeah. at this point. So I think he missed out. I think he should have, I don't know what the Phillies were offering him, but I think he should have taken the deal because the way he started off this season, and maybe we all hope he'll turn it around and then, and then make, make that decision look really smart. But Liz, what do you think about Aaron Nola? Would you, would you sign him to a contract extension? Like if he came in and said, Hey, I'll take that deal at the beginning of the season not knowing what it is obviously we can't say for we can't say whether they should do it or not but what are your thoughts on anola extension now what does it look like and and if he goes to free agency do you think the season has really hurt him um if he keeps going this way it has been just two months and memorial day is the the, the fake real rubicon and so i think if he continues to pitch like crap he's hurting his value I think he's, I think at the moment he's actively hurting his value. I really thought he should have taken whatever the Phillies offered because I think he does not have the, I mean, I hate saying that he doesn't have the best concept of his value because that's not true. I have no idea what I'm talking about, like technically, but it really feels like he's looking for something that I say it might not be there. And then I think, well, there are no other options for the Phillies. So there are no options for anyone else either. Because my instinct is no contract. No extension offer. Let him see what he can get out there and have a standing offer and be like, if you want to come back, we'll take you. And if not, then we figure it out. But I'm I'm a little tired of having the Aranola conversation. No, I get it. Me too. It won't um, stop if we sign stop. him. It'll just be it'll just be the same. Only it'll it we won't talk about contract. It'll be how long until the contract is over and how much <laughs> we're paying him to pitch like crap. Justin, all fair points. Where are you at on this? I think this year, it's been long enough. This this has to hurt him in some way, contractually. I mean, he, he's got his worst ERA through 11 starts in his in his entire career. In a contract year, somebody's going to bring that up. You know, there, there's at least somebody out there who had, a, had an idea of a deal, and that deal is now lower because what they have seen this year. And I... That's what I mean. That's what happens. That's that's the market fluctuating for you when you when you have your worst ERA through the first eleven starts of the season. He has not been a reliable pitcher. He he hasn't. You know, we we keep waiting for that and hoping for that and getting the impact of that. But uh, he has yet to make a series of starts that have sort of announced, "I'm back." You have a number two pitcher again. So it's got to impact him contractually. And I don't think, yeah, if he walked into an office and said, I'll take that deal from the beginning of the year, I don't think the Phillies are saying yes to that. I think yeah. this is now like what, what I said before uh, repeatedly that this is a team of, of, of a lot of guys who are established major leaguers who you know what you're going to get. The truth is with Nola, he's not. He's still somebody you don't know what you're going to get. You know one of two things that could happen, but you don't know which one's going to happen. And that's not something people fork over money for. So no. I, I think you wind up having to see what Dave Dombrowski can do to get creative. And it makes that, I'll be honest. It makes that anonymous NL executives words kind of echo in my head a little bit. Cause yeah, this team's bread and butter, as far as the rotation goes, has been Wheeler and Nola for a couple of years now. And those days might be coming to an end. So there, there might be better options out there that we're not fathoming because we're not, you know, we're not Hall of Fame NL or uh, <laughs> Hall of Fame Major League executives. So, 
uh, yeah, I, I, I gotta say this season has, it's gotta have hurt him thus far. And like you said, all of this is us hoping that he turns it around. I want him to be able to get the deal he wants, but whatever deal he, he is have, he puts on the table right now. I think a team is going to ask for less. No, I agree. I agree. He hasn't done anything to show that he's on an upward trajectory and that's what teams pay for now. Uh, so we'll see. Again, we're all hoping what we're wrong, and we're all hoping by the end of the season, you look at him and you're like, yeah, it's a $200 million guy because that usually would mean that they he's been pitching very well for the Phillies, and the Phillies have benefited from that. Well, listen, those are great. Uh, we did get some extras. I'm sorry we weren't able to, to get him on uh, the podcast this time around. If I can get him on uh, in the midweek podcast, uh, we'll definitely do that. Uh, but uh, email your questions or your thoughts to hittenseason at billypen.com. Uh, again, just record them on the voice memo on your phone, and uh, and we'll get them on the show. All right, let's wrap up this edition of the podcast with some final thoughts. Liz, you've got a final thought already in the in the in the chamber, so uh, let her rip. Yes, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Buster Only and his continual crusade against tanking. Which, as much as he's criticized the Astros for tanking, he did not say anything about it then, and yet would not shut up when he believed the Phillies were tanking as ineffectually as they managed to do it. Uh, so today he tweeted, last year, the Houston Astros allowed 518 runs. So far this season, Oakland has allowed 388 runs. They've scored 189. Run differential, minus 199. Maybe this embarrassment will finally compel MLB owners to protect their collective product and take more steps to curb tanking. Now, do you see a problem with this tweet? Um, I flush it out for me. Well, I'm just going to tell you what uh, a Twitter user, Dustin L. Davis, responded because it was so obvious. I, I can't believe I didn't realize it right away. MLB owners just rewarded this tanking by approving their move to Vegas. <laughs> I disintegrated in my chair. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I just wanted to put that out there for everyone to understand. Buster only is an idiot. And somehow ESPN's layoffs did not affect him. Um, before I, I hand over final thoughts to Justin, I'll, I do want to say that Mark Cuban decided to jump into the fray. Oh, good. Tweeted, oh, yeah. That's what we always need is the NBA owner who won't shut up. People always ask me why owners of certain certain MLB teams won't sell. The answer is easy. If someone offered to pay you $25 million a year or so, and all you have to do is let everyone in the city and the industry yell at you every day, would you take that job? <laughs> Shut up, Mark Cuban. Aw, <laughs> hey, owners are just like us, Liz, all right? They just, you know, they're... They, they're very sensitive, and they don't like it when you're mad at them. Well, so, here's the thing. They don't have to face anyone mad at them ever. Right. They uh, could you, put a good team know, on the product, a good product on the field. Do you know what John Fisher, the owner of The Athletics, looks like? I don't. I wrote about him, and I don't. There are very few pictures of him around. He never speaks in public. He doesn't have to engage with any of this anger at all. No one's actually yelling at him. Everyone's just yelling on the internet. Yeah, that's that not, not that's a not punishment. Yelling. He's that's not, not he's experiencing no n nothing negative from this. Like right. I, I just mark uh, owners of teams should just not really be allowed to speak, including John Middleton. Every owner, I don't care if even you're Jeff Lurie, no talking, none. 
feel like billionaires don't have to talk to anybody they don't want to talk to. So and yet, <laughs> if they don't, if they don't want to hear people yell at them, they just won't. Well, it's there's a lot owners. Obviously, when you own a team, it's a lot of it is for ego because if you want to make money, there are better ways to do it. So uh, it's an ego game, and so it does make it does make little sense when you own a team and you own a team because you want to have that ego stroke, and then you don't actually pay to put a good product on the field or you or you you do what the A's are doing and that's intentionally putting a horrific product on the field to make the fans so angry that they stay away so that you can then get a stadium someplace else and that's that's what we're seeing here and that's and it's he's just, been doing it's just ridiculous it. for a long time for 20 years like yeah. one of the first things him and his former former uh co-owner of the athletics did when they took over the team was float an idea to move them to like fresno or something like that. They had a, a San Jose, which ended up getting overturned by the government or the uh, Supreme Court. Like yeah, there I were that. a lot of John Fisher has been trying to move the team since he bought it. He's been trying to move the team and tank it since he bought it. Like that's it's ridiculous to me. And that Buster only a man who writes about baseball couldn't connect A and B in his tweet about you know, MLB should really take tanking seriously. And I'm sure they'll do that right after they approve the athletics move to Las Vegas. Oh, thank you for letting me yell about this. It's been bugging me all day. It is our pleasure to let you scream into a microphone, into our ears. We, 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 we do love it. It is good content. I'm sorry um, if I hurt anyone's ears. No, no, no. It was a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Justin, final thoughts, buddy. There's a new episode of The Dirty Inning about former Phillies pitcher George Smith, uh, the hardest man to research in Philadelphia Phillies history. <laughs> uh, yeah, he once punched Giants manager, jo- or no, he once punched uh, Ro- Giants player Ralph Shinners in the face while John mm-hmm. McGraw was also attacking him. He fought off both of them and actually dodged <laughs> dodged a punch from John McGraw, who then accidentally punched his own player in the face. <laughs> As oh, George Smith dodged it. So, yeah, it was basically the John Wick of Phillies pitchers, and we did an episode <laughs> on him on the Hit and Season Patreon. And that, of course, can be found at patreon.com slash hit and season. Uh, sign up on uh, our uh, our tiers, and uh, you can uh, get all that extra bonus stuff there. Uh, again, patreon.com slash hit and season. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. Uh, my thanks, of course, to Justin and Liz uh, for popping on this episode of the podcast. And again, a big series coming up this week against the New York Mets. The Mets struggling just like the Phillies are. Horrific struggles with the in the starting rotation and the bullpen. So um, we should see a lot of runs this week between these two teams. But, of course, the Phillies and Mets offenses haven't been too good either. So who knows what we'll get in New York. But this was a this was a horrific place for the Phillies to play last year. We'll see if 2023 brings a little bit of different magic here uh, for the Phillies as they get up ready to play the Mets in a big series to help them move up the standings. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will talk to you next time here on Hidden Season. 